0: Ah sinner, remember this, there is no way on earth effectually to be rid of the guilt, filth, and power of sin but by believing in a Savior. It is not resolving, it is not complaining, it is not mourning, but believing that will make thee divinely victorious over that body of sin that to this day is too strong for thee and that will certainly be thy ruin if it be not ruined by the hand of faith. Remedy 7 the seventh remedy against this device of Satan is wisely to consider that, as there is nothing in Christ to discourage the greatest sinners from believing in Him, so there is everything in Christ that may encourage the greatest sinners to believe on Him, to rest and lean upon Him for all happiness and blessedness. Canticles 1:3. If you look upon His nature, His disposition, His name, His titles, His offices as King, Priest, and Prophet. You will find nothing to discourage the greatest sinners from believing in him, but many things to encourage the greatest sinners to receive him, to believe in him. Christ is the greatest good, the choicest good, the chiefest good, the most suitable good, the most necessary good. He is a pure good, a real good, a total good, an eternal good, and a soul-satisfying good. Revelation 3:17 and 18 Sinners, are you poor? Christ hath gold to enrich you. Are you naked? Christ hath royal robes. He hath white raiment to clothe you. Are you blind? Christ hath eyes salve to enlighten you. Are you hungry? Christ will be manna to feed you. Are you thirsty? He will be a well of living water to refresh you. Are you wounded? He hath a balm under his wings to heal you. Are you sick? He is a physician to cure you. Are you prisoners? He hath laid down a ransom for you. Ah, sinners, tell me, tell me, is there anything in Christ to keep you off from believing? No. Is there not everything in Christ that may encourage you to believe in him? Yes. Oh, then believe in him, and then, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isaiah 1.18 Nay, then, your iniquities shall be forgotten, as well as forgiven. They shall be remembered no more. God will cast them behind His back. He will throw them into the bottom of the sea. Isaiah 43, verse 25, and chapter 38, verse 17, and Micah 7:19. Remedy 8 The eighth remedy against this device of Satan is seriously to consider the absolute necessity of believing in Christ. Heaven is too holy and too hot to hold unbelievers. Their lodging is prepared in hell. Revelation 21, 8 but the fearful and unbelieving, etc., shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. If ye believe not that I am he, saith Christ, you shall die in your sins. John 8:24. And he that dies in his sins must go to judgment and to hell in his sins. Every unbeliever is a condemned man. He that believeth not, saith John, is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John 3, verses 18 and 36. Ah, sinners, the law, the gospel, and your own consciences have passed the sentence of condemnation upon you, and there is no way to reverse the sentence but by believing in Christ. And therefore my counsel is this, stir up yourselves to lay hold on the Lord Jesus and look up to him, and wait on him, from whom every good and perfect gift comes, and give him no rest till he hath given thee that jewel faith that is more worth than heaven and earth, and that will make thee happy in life, joyful in death, and glorious in the day of Christ. Isaiah 64, 7, James 1:17, and Isaiah 62, 7. And thus much for the remedies against this first device of Satan, whereby he keeps off thousands from believing in Christ. Device 2. By suggesting to sinners their unworthiness. Ah, saith Satan, as thou art worthy of the greatest misery, so thou art unworthy of the least crumb of mercy. What, dost thou think, saith Satan, that ever Christ will own, receive, or embrace, such an unworthy wretch as thou art? No, no, if there were any worthiness in thee, then indeed Christ might be willing to be entertained by thee. Thou art unworthy to entertain Christ into thy house. How much more unworthy art thou to entertain Christ into thy heart. Remedy 1 The first remedy against this device of Satan is, seriously to consider, that God hath nowhere in the scripture required any worthiness in the creature before believing in Christ. If you make a diligent search through all the scripture, you shall not find, from the first line in Genesis to the last line in the Revelation, one word that speaks out God's requiring any worthiness in the creature, before the souls believing in Christ, before the souls leaning and resting upon Christ for happiness and blessedness, and why then should that be a bar and hindrance to thy faith, which God doth nowhere require of thee before thou comest to Christ, that thou mayest have life matthew nineteen eight john five twenty nine Ah sinners, remember Satan objects your unworthiness against you only out of a design to keep Christ and your souls asunder forever. And therefore, in the face of all your unworthiness, rest upon Christ, come to Christ, believe in Christ, and you are happy forever. John 6:40 40 and 47. Remedy 2. The second remedy against this device of Satan is wisely to consider that none ever received Christ, embraced Christ, and obtained mercy and pardon from Christ, but unworthy souls. Pray, what worthiness was in Matthew? Zacchaeus. Mary Magdalene, Manessa, Paul, and Lydia, before their coming to Christ, before their faith in Christ? Surely none. Ah, sinners, you should reason thus. Christ hath bestowed the choicest mercies, the greatest favors, the highest dignities, the sweetest privileges, upon unworthy sinners. And therefore, O our souls, do not you faint, do not you despair, but patiently and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Who can tell but that free grace and mercy may shine forth upon us, though we are unworthy, and give us a portion among those worthies that are now triumphing in heaven. Remedy 3 The third remedy against this device of Satan is that if the soul will keep off from Christ till it be worthy, it will never close with Christ. It will never embrace Christ. It will never be one with Christ. It must lie down in everlasting sorrow. Isaiah fifty eleven. God hath laid up all worthiness in Christ that the creature may know where to find it and may make out after it. There is no way on earth to make unworthy souls worthy but by believing in Christ. James 2.23 Believing in Christ, of slaves, it will make you worthy sons. Of enemies, it will make you worthy friends. God will count none worthy, nor call none worthy, nor carry it towards none as worthy, but believers, who are made worthy by the worthiness of Christ's person, righteousness, satisfaction, and intercession. Revelation 3.4 Remedy 4 The fourth remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that if you make a diligent search into your own heart, you shall find that it is the pride and folly of your own heart that puts you upon bringing of a worthiness to Christ. Oh, you would fain bring something to Christ that might render you acceptable to him. You are loath to come empty handed. The Lord cries out, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend your money upon that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Here the Lord calls upon moneyless, upon penniless souls, upon unworthy souls, to come and partake of his precious favors freely. But sinners are proud and foolish, and because they have no money, no worthiness to bring, they will not come, though he sweetly invites them. Ah, sinners, what is more just than that you should perish forever, that prefer husks among swine, before the milk and wine, the sweet and precious things of the gospel, that are freely and sweetly offered to you? Well, sinners, remember this, it is not so much the sense of your unworthiness as your pride that keeps you off from a blessed closing with the Lord Jesus. Device 3 By suggesting to sinners the want of such and such preparations and qualifications, Say a Satan, Thou art not prepared to entertain Christ. Thou art not thus and thus humbled and justified. Thou art not heart sick of sin. Thou hast not been under horrors and terrors as such and such thou must stay till thou art prepared and qualified to receive the Lord Jesus. Remedy 1 The first remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that such as have not been so-and-so prepared and qualified as Satan suggests have received Christ, believed in Christ, and been saved by Christ. Matthew was called, sitting at the receipt of custom, and there was such power went along with Christ's call that made him to follow him. Matthew nine nine, we read not of any horrors or terrors that he was under before his being called by Christ. Pray, what preparations and qualifications were found in Zacchaeus, Paul, the jailer, and Lydia before their conversion? Luke nineteen nine, Acts sixteen fourteen. God brings in some by the sweet and still voice of the gospel, and usually such that are thus brought into Christ are the sweetest, humblest, choicest, and fruitfulest Christians. God is a free agent to work by law or gospel, by smiles or frowns, by presenting hell or heaven to sinner souls. God thunders from Mount Sinai upon some souls and conquers them by thundering. God speaks to others in a still, small voice and by that conquers them. You that are brought to Christ by the law, do not you judge and condemn them that are brought to Christ by the gospel. And you that are brought to Christ by the gospel, do not you despise those that are brought to Christ by the law. Some are brought to Christ by fire, storms, and tempests. Others by more easy and gentle gales of the Spirit. The Spirit is free in the works of conversion, and as the wind, it blows when, where, and how it pleases. John 3.8 Thrice happy are those souls that are brought to Christ, whether it be in a winter's night or in a summer's day. Remedy 2 the second remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to dwell upon these following scriptures, which do clearly evidence that four sinners, which are not so and so prepared and qualified to meet with Christ, to receive and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, may, notwithstanding that, believe in Christ, and rest and lean upon him for happiness and blessedness according to the gospel. Read Proverbs 1, verses 20 through 33, and chapter 8, verses 1 through 11 and chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, Ezekiel 16, verses 1 through 14, John 3, verses 14 through 18, and verse 36, Revelation 3, verses 15 through 20. Here the Lord Jesus Christ stands knocking at the Laodiceans' door. He would fain have them to sup with him, and that he might sup with them, that is, that they might have intimate communion and fellowship one with another. Now pray tell me, what preparations or qualifications had these Laodiceans to entertain Christ? Surely none, for they were lukewarm. They were neither hot nor cold. They were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And yet Christ, to show his free grace and his condescending love, invites the very worst of sinners to open to him. Though they were no way so-and-so prepared or qualified to entertain him. Remedy 3. The third remedy against this device of Satan is seriously to consider that the Lord does not in all the Scripture require such and such preparations and qualifications before men come to Christ, before they believe in Christ, or entertain or embrace the Lord Jesus. Believing in Christ is the great thing that God presses upon sinners throughout the Scripture, as all know that know anything of Scripture. Objection. But does not Christ say... Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew 11:18. To this I shall give these three answers. 1. That though the invitation be to such that labor and are heavy laden, yet the promise of giving rest, it is made over to coming, to believing. 2. That all this scripture proves and shows is that such as labor under sin, as under a heavy burden, and that are laden with the guilt of sin and sense of God's displeasure, ought to come to Christ for rest. But it does not prove that only such must come to Christ, nor that all men must be thus burdened and laden with the sense of their sins and the wrath of God before they come to Christ. Poor sinners, when they are under the sense of sin and the wrath of God, are prone to run from creature to creature, and from duty to duty, and from ordinance to ordinance, to find rest. And if they could find it in anything or creature, Christ should never hear of them. But here the Lord sweetly invites them, and to encourage them he engages himself to give them rest. Come, saith Christ, and I will give you rest. I will not show you rest, nor barely tell you of rest, but I will give you rest. I am faithfulness itself and cannot lie, I will give you rest. I that have the greatest power to give it, the greatest will to give it, the greatest right to give it. Come, laden sinners, and I will give you rest. Rest is the most desirable good, the most suitable good, and to you the greatest good. Come, saith Christ, that is, believe in me and I will give you rest. I will give you peace with God and peace with conscience. I will turn your storm into an everlasting calm. I will give you such rest that the world can neither give to you nor take from you. 3. No one scripture speaks out the whole mind of God. Therefore do but compare this one scripture with those several scriptures that are laid down in the second remedy last mentioned. And it will clearly appear that though men are thus and thus burdened and laden with their sins and filled with horror and terror, if they may come to Christ, they may receive and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. Remedy 4 The fourth remedy against this device of Satan is to consider... That all that trouble for sin, all that sorrow, shame, and mourning, which is acceptable to God, and delightful to God, and prevalent with God, flows from faith in Christ, as the stream doth from the fountain, as the branch doth from the root, as the effect doth from the cause. Zechariah 12.10 They shall look on him whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him. All gospel mourning flows from believing. They shall first look, and then mourn. All that know anything know this that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Romans fourteen thirty three. Till men have faith in Christ, their best services are but glorious sins. Device four. By suggesting to a sinner Christ's unwillingness to save. It is true, saith Satan, Christ is able to save thee, but is he willing? Surely, though he is able, yet he is not willing to save such a wretch as thou art. Thou hast trampled his blood under thy feet, and thou hast been in open rebellion against him all thy days. Remedy 1. First, the great journey that he hath taken from heaven to earth, on purpose to save sinners, doth strongly demonstrate his willingness to save them. Matthew 9.13. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Secondly, his divesting himself of his glory in order to sinners' salvation speaks out his willingness to save them. He leaves his father's bosom, he puts off his glorious robes and lays aside his glorious crown and bids adieu to his glistering courtiers of angels. And all this he doeth that he may accomplish sinner's salvation footnote from the cradle to the cross his whole life was a life of sufferings and a footnote thirdly that sea of sin that sea of wrath that sea of trouble that sea of blood that Jesus Christ waded through that sinners might be pardoned justified reconciled and saved doth strongly evidence his willingness to save sinners 2nd Corinthians 5 verses 19 and 20 fourthly His sending his ambassadors, early and late, to woo and entreat sinners to be reconciled to him, doth with open mouth show his readiness and willingness to save sinners. Fifthly, his complaints against such as refuse him, and that turn their backs upon him, and that will not be saved by him, doth strongly declare his willingness to save them. John 1, 11 He came to his own, and his own received him not, so in John 5:40, But ye will not come to me, that ye may have life. Sixthly, the joy and delight that he takes at the conversion of sinners doth demonstrate his willingness that they should be saved. Luke 15:7. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons that need no repentance. God the Father rejoices at the return of his prodigal son. Christ rejoices to see the travail of his soul. The Spirit rejoices that he hath another temple to dwell in. And the angels rejoice that they have another brother to delight in. Isaiah 53, verse 11. Device 5. By working a sinner to mind more the secret decrees and counsels of God than his own duty. What needest thou to busy thyself about receiving, embracing, and entertaining of Christ, saith Satan? If thou art elected, thou shalt be saved. If not, all that thou canst do will do thee no good. Nay, he will work the soul not only to doubt of its election, but to conclude that he is not elected, and therefore let him do what he can. He shall never be saved. Remedy 1 The first remedy against this device of Satan is seriously to consider that all the angels in heaven, nor all the men on earth, nor all the devils in heaven cannot tell to the contrary, but that thou mayest be an elect person, a chosen vessel. Thou mayest be confident of this, that God never made Satan one of his privy council. God never acquainted him with the names or persons of such that he hath set his love upon to eternity. Remedy 2 The second remedy against this device of Satan is, To meddle with that which thou hast to do. Secret things belong to the Lord, but revealed things belong to thee. Deuteronomy 29, 29 Thy work, sinner, is to be peremptory in believing and in returning to the Lord. Thy work is to cast thyself upon Christ, lie at his feet, to wait on him in his ways, and to give him no rest till he shall say, Sinner, I am thy portion, I am thy salvation, and nothing shall separate between thee and me. Part 2. Seven Characters of False Teachers Satan labors might and main by false teachers, which are his messengers and ambassadors, to deceive, delude, and forever undo the precious souls of men. Jeremiah 23.13 I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied in Baal and caused my people Israel to err. Micah 3.5 The prophets make my people to err. They seduce them and carry them out of the right way into bypaths and blind thickets of error, blasphemy, and wickedness, where they are lost forever. Beware of false prophets, for they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Matthew 7.15 These lick and suck the blood of souls. Philippians 3.2 Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. These kiss and kill. These cry, Peace, peace, till souls fall into everlasting flames. Proverbs 7 Now the best way to deliver poor souls from being deluded and destroyed by these messengers of Satan is to discover them in their colors that so being known, poor souls may shun them and fly from them as from hell itself. Now you may know them by these characters following. 1. The first character, false teachers, are men-pleasers. They preach more to please the ear than to profit the heart. Isaiah 30.10 Which say to the seers, See not, and to the prophets, Prophesy not unto us right things. Speak to us smooth things, prophesied deceit Jeremiah five thirty and 31 a wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land the prophets prophesy falsely and the priests bear rule by their means and my people love to have it so and what will you do in the end thereof they handle holy things rather with wit and dalliance than with fear and reverence false teachers are soul undoers they are like evil surgeons that skin over the wound, but never heal it. Flattery undid Ahab and Herod, Nero and Alexander. False teachers are hell's greatest enrichers. Not bitter, but flattering words do all the mischief, said Valerian, the Roman emperor. Such smooth teachers are sweet soul poisoners, Jeremiah 23, verses 16 and 17. Footnote. While an ass is stroked under the belly, you may lay on his back what burden you please. End a footnote. 2. The second character. False teachers are notable in casting dirt, scorn, and reproach upon the persons, names, and credits of Christ's most faithful ambassadors. Thus Korah, Dathan, and Abiram charged Moses and Aaron that they took too much upon them, seeing all the congregation was holy. Number sixteen three. You take too much state, too much power, too much honor, too much holiness upon you. For what are you more than others, but that you take so much upon you? And so Ahab's false prophets fell foul on good Micah, paying of him with blows for want of better reasons. 1 Kings 22 verses 10 through 26 Yea, Paul, that great apostle of the Gentiles, had his ministry undermined and his reputation blasted by false teachers. For his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. 2 Corinthians 10.10 They rather condemn him than admire him. They look upon him as a dunce rather than a doctor. And the same hard measure had our Lord Jesus. From the scribes and Pharisees, who labored as for life to build their own credit upon the ruins of his reputation. Footnote: The proverb is, "A man's eye and his good name can bear no jest." Yea, in Lucian, that blasphemous atheist, termeth him the crucifier, cozener. End a footnote. And never did the devil drive a more full trade this way than he does in these days. Matthew 27:63. Oh, the dirt, the filth, the scorn that is thrown upon those of whom the world is not worthy. I suppose false teachers mind not that saying of Augustine. He that willingly takes from my good name unwillingly adds to my reward. 3. The third character. False teachers are ventures of the devices and visions of their own heads and hearts. Jeremiah 14.14 Then the Lord said unto me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination, and a thing of naught, and the deceit of their heart. CHAPTER twenty three sixteen Thus saith the Lord of Hosts, Hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart, and not out of the mouth of the Lord. Are there not multitudes in this nation whose visions are but golden delusions, lying vanities, brain-sick fantasies? These are Satan's greatest benefactors, and such as divine justice will hang up in hell as the greatest malefactors, if the physician of souls did not prevent it. Number 4. The Fourth Character False teachers easily pass over the great and weighty things both of law and gospel and stand most upon those things that are of the least moment and concernment to the souls of men. Footnote Luther complained of such in his time as would strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. This age is full of such teachers, such monsters. The high priest spirit lives and thrives in these days. End of footnote First Timothy 5, 7 now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling desiring to be teachers of the law and understand neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Matthew 23 verses 2 and 3 Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for ye paid tithe of mint and anise and cummin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law Judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. False teachers are nice in the lesser things of the law, and as negligent in the greater. 1 Timothy 6, verses 3-5 If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strife of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railing, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. If such teachers are not hypocrites in grain, I know nothing. Romans 2:22. The earth groans to bear them, and hell is fitted for them. Matthew 24, verse 32. 5. The Fifth Character False teachers cover and color their dangerous principles and soul impostures with very fair speeches and plausible pretenses, with high notions and golden expressions. Many in these days are bewitched and deceived by the magnificent words, lofty strains, and stately terms of deceivers that is, illumination, revelation, deification, and fiery triplicity. As trumpets paint their faces and deck and perfume their beds, the better to allure and deceive simple souls. So false teachers will put a great deal of paint and garnish upon their most dangerous principles and blasphemies, that they may the better deceive and delude poor ignorant souls. They know sugared poison goes down sweetly. They ramp up their pernicious... Soul Killing Pills in Gold In the days of Hadrian, the Emperor, there was one Ben Cosby, gathered a multitude of Jews together, and called himself Ben Kukuba, the son of a star, applying that promise to himself. Numbers twenty four seventeen, but he proved Bar Koshaba, the son of a lie. And so will all false teachers, for all their flourishes prove at the last the sons of lies. Six, The sixth character False teachers strive more to win over men to their opinions than to better them in their conversations. Matthew 23.15 Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. They busy themselves most about men's heads. Their work is not to better men's hearts and mend their lives, And in this they are very much like their father the devil, who will spare no pains to gain proselytes. Footnote. For shame, says Epictetus to his Stoics, either live as Stoics or leave off the name of Stoics. The application is easy. End of footnote. 7. The seventh character. False teachers make merchandise of their followers. 2 Peter 2, verses 1-3. through But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. They are your goods more than your good and mind more the serving of themselves than the saving of your souls. So they may have your substance. They care not though Satan has your souls. Revelation 18 verses 11 through 13. That they may the better pick your purse they will hold forth such principles as are very indulgent to the flesh. False teachers are great worshippers of the golden calf. Jeremiah six thirteen. 13. Footnote Crates threw his money into the sea, resolving to drown it, lest it should drown him. But false teachers care not who they drowned, so they have their money. End of footnote Now by these characters you may know them, and so shun them, and deliver your souls out of their dangerous snares, which that you may, my prayer, shall meet yours at the throne of grace. And now, to prevent objections, I shall lay down some propositions or conclusions concerning Satan and his devices, and then give you the reasons of the point, and so come to make some use and application of the whole to ourselves. Part 3. Six Propositions Concerning Satan and His Devices Proposition 1. The proposition is this that though Satan hath his devices to draw souls to sin, yet we must be careful that we do not lay all our temptations upon Satan, that we do not wrong the devil, and father that upon him that is to be fathered upon our own base heart. I think that oftentimes men charge that upon the devil that is to be charged upon their own heart. And the Lord said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Genesis 3.13 Sin and shifting came into the world together. Footnote We are no sooner born than buried in a bog of wickedness. Cicero End a footnote This is no small baseness of our hearts, that they will be not, I very not, and yet will father that naughtiness upon Satan. Man hath an evil root within him. That were there no devil to tempt him, nor no wicked men in the world to entice him, Yet that root of bitterness, that cursed sinful nature that is within him, would draw him to sin, though he knows beforehand that the wages of sin is eternal death. Romans 6.23 For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. Matthew 15.19 The whole frame of man is out of frame. The understanding is dark, the will crossed, The memory slippery, the affections crooked, the conscience corrupted, the tongue poisoned, and the heart wholly evil, only evil and continually evil. Should God chain up Satan and give him no liberty to tempt or entice the sons of men to vanity or folly, yet they would not, yet they could not but sin against him by reason of that cursed nature that is in them, that will still be of provoking them to those sins that will provoke and stir up the anger of God against them. Jude 15 and 16 Satan hath only a persuading slight, not an enforcing might. He may tempt us, but without ourselves he cannot conquer us. He may entice us, but without ourselves he cannot hurt us. Our hearts carry the greatest stroke in every sin. Satan can never undo a man without himself, but a man may easily undo himself without Satan. Satan can only present the golden cup, but he hath no power to force us to drink the poison that is in the cup. He can only present to us the glory of the world. He cannot force us to fall down and worship him, to enjoy the world. He can only spread his snares. He hath no power to force us to walk in the midst of his snares. Therefore do the devil so much right as not to excuse yourselves by your accusing him and laying the load upon him that you should lay upon your own hearts. Footnote. The fire is our wood, though it be the devil's flame. End of footnote. Proposition 2. The second proposition is that Satan hath a great hand and stroke in most sins. It was Satan that tempted our first parents to rebellion. It was Satan that provoked David to number the people. It was Satan that put Peter upon rebuking Christ. Therefore saith Christ, Get thee behind me, Satan. It was Satan that put Cain upon murdering of righteous Abel. Therefore it is that he is called a murderer from the beginning. It was Satan that put treason into the heart of Judas against Christ. And supper being ended, the devil having put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. It was Satan that put Ananias upon lying. Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? As the hand of Joab was in the tale of the woman of Tekoa, so Satan's hand is usually in all the sins that men commit. Such is Satan's malice against God and his envy against man that he will have a hand one way or another in all the sins though he knows that all the sins he provokes others to shall be charged upon him to his greater woe and eternal torment. Ambrose brings in the devil boasting against Christ and challenging Judas as his own. He is not thine, Lord Jesus, he is mine. His thoughts beat for me, he eats with thee, but is fed by me. He takes bread from thee, but money from me. He drinks wine with thee and sells thy blood to me. Such is his malice against Christ and his wrath and rage against man that he will take all advantages to draw men to that that may give him advantage to triumph over Christ and men's souls forever. Proposition 3 The third proposition is that Satan must have a double leave before he can do anything against us. He must have leave from God and leave from ourselves before he can act anything against our happiness. He must have his commission from God as you may see in the example of Job. Job 1.11 and 12 and chapter 2 verses 3 through 5. Though the devil had malice enough to destroy him yet he had not so much as power to touch him till God gave him a commission. They could not so much as enter into the swine without leave from Christ. Luke 8.32 Satan would fain have combated with Peter but this he could not do without leave. Satan hath desired to have you, to winnow you. Luke 22:31. So Satan could never have overthrown Ahab and Saul, but by a commission from God. 1 Kings 22 Ah, what a cordial, what a comfort this should be to the saints, that their greatest, subtlest, and watchfulest enemy cannot hurt nor harm them without leave from him who is their sweetest savior, their dearest husband, and their choicest friend. And as Satan must have leave from God, so he must have leave of us. When he tempts, we must assent. When he makes offers, we must hearken. When he commands, we must obey, or else all his labor and temptations will be frustrate, and the evil that he tempts us to shall be put down only to his account. That is a remarkable passage in Acts 5.3. Why hath Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? He does not expostulate the matter with Satan. He does not say, Satan, why hast thou filled Ananias' heart to make him lie to the Holy Ghost? But he expostulates the case with Ananias. Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Why hast thou given him an advantage to fill thy heart with infidelity, hypocrisy, and obstinate audacity to lie to the Holy Ghost? As if he had said, Satan could never have done this in thee, which will now forever undo thee, unless thou hadst given him leave. If one a temptation comes, a man cries out, and saith, Ah, Lord, here is a temptation that would force me, that would deflower my soul, and I have no strength to withstand it. Oh, help, help, for thy honor's sake, for thy son's sake, for thy promise's sake. It is a sign that Satan hath not gained your consent, but committed a rape upon your souls, which he shall dearly pay for. Footnote. They are the worst and greatest liars who pretend religion and the spirit, and yet are acted only by carnal principles to carnal ends. End of footnote. Proposition 4. The fourth proposition is, that no weapons but spiritual weapons will be useful and serviceable to the soul in fighting and combating with the devil. This the apostle shows. Wherefore take unto you, saith he, the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Ephesians 6.13 So the same apostle tells you that the weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the casting down of strongholds, 2 Corinthians
1: 10:4 This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. S W R B makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available free and for sale in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail order catalog